Let's get ready to rumble! Right now, let's kick off with the show proper. Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the show that is back to a fabulous foursome. Hmm, that sounds a bit Dutch. <laughs> after, after a break of holidays and stuff and nothing being in cinemas and all that, four of us are back here. My name is Tosin and I am the host, based up in the middle of the United Kingdom, somewhere in the Midlands, somewhere near Birmingham. Joining me as always from the Isle of Wight is Sharon Bolland. Hello. Joining me from, it could be one of two places, it's either the Isle of Wight or Bournemouth. I'm going to go 50-50 and say this week it's the Isle of Wight. No, it's Bournemouth. Oh, rubbish! Yes. <laughs> it's Sean Harris. Sean Harris joining us from Bournemouth. Hey, hey, hi. And joining us all the way from the big smoke from, the, from London, it is our London correspondent back from having a lovely tan in a pool somewhere in somewhere with sun. Well, quite frankly, she could have stayed at home. It is Holly. <laughs> Holly Nestle. <Hi. laughs> Yes, you could have stayed at home, but I'm guessing that there would have been fewer swimming pools, fewer swimming pools to lounge about, about in. Right, now this week, we have another one of those weeks. We spoke about how last week um, Thor, Thor Love and Thunder was released in cinemas, and therefore there's a dearth, just a dearth of stuff in cinemas. Which means that we couldn't do what we usually do, which is we go to the cinema, we see usually about three films a week between the four of us. We see three films and we rate them out of five and we see at least three things at home on Netflix and we rate them out of five and we say, where has our money been better spent this week? Last week, Sean and I decided to just go for a good old streaming binge because there was not, we couldn't say about, talk about anything in cinema. So we went for a good old streaming binge. And today we have two things in the cinema because that's all we could find and four things at home. So we will still have six things to review for you. It also means that we can post something every day of the week. <laughs> we can post a review every day of the week on YouTube and Facebook. So, the big cheese in town this week is Thor, Love and Thunder. Let us kick off with that. Now, Holly, you are the only one who has not seen this. So, feel free to ask questions as we go along with this. I'm going to try and give us a little brief, a brief synopsis of what Thor, Love and Thunder is all about. Now, if you have not been following the MCU for its last 20-something films, then quite frankly, I don't know how to explain this film to you. But the last time we saw Thor, which would have been at the end of Avengers Endgame, Thor had decided to go off with the Guardians of the Galaxy and go around the world and not, not, not be king of Asgard. And this film picks off with him and picks up with what Thor did. He, Thor has gotten back into shape, he's with the Guardians of the Galaxy, but he's trying to do some sort of introspection and feel what, he, what he's like, uh, figure out who he is. And the, the film kicks off with Thor in sort of like adventurer mode with the Guardians of the Galaxy. They have some adventures, all that kind of stuff. Then something happens, which means that Thor has to leave the Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't think it's that much of a spoiler to say that he has to, that Thor leaves. And essentially, there is this character called Gore the God Butcher, and he has decided that Gore, that gods are essentially uh, gods are liars, gods are a waste of time, and he's he's he has pledge that all gods should die so because of that thor gets a distress signal and decides i need to go and i need to go help out my fellow gods and figure out what's going on that is the main that's the main thrust of this film and then other things happen we have natalie portman shows up again natalie portman shows up again and this time natalie portman shows up as thor or as another thor so she actually has thor's powers she's working with mjolnir like um thor's hammer which the last time we saw was in a whole bunch of pieces and there's all that stuff going on and it goes it go, goes into and i think plot wise i think that's about it is there anything else that we want to add plot wise sean or sharon because i i, I, I don't think so i mean if, if people have watched the previous thor they'd probably yeah it's a superhero yeah. movie so that's that's the basic thing that's the excuse for the action someone's killing all the gods thor's trying to figure out who it is and is trying to save all the gods End of story. I, I, I must say one thing i think that's a that's a great name for a destroyer of gods isn't it the god oh, god I mean, uh, the god but yeah you know yeah i, <laughs> yeah, I think I, and uh, I, it's not much to say it's not i don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that gore is probably one of my favorite characters in this film so mm. but but let's kick off so sharon what did you think of thor love and thunder I thought it was personally. I thought it was a little bit patchy. I thought it, there was elements that were really good, and some of the the humour for me didn't quite deliver. Mm -hmm. um, I found it was a little bit broad in places. Um, I like that sort of irreverent humour that um, Taika Waititi brings to it, um, but some of these I thought were a little bit broad for me. But I liked it on the whole. That um, yeah, you see 
Thor, I mean, he's the god of thunder, but I think as it becomes obvious in this, he isn't like the, the brightest god in the pantheon. <laughs> and so <laughs> sometimes he's like sort of innocence and his um, a completely obliviousness <laughs> to the world around him. There's a humour in that. So some of the broader humour is sometimes I thought a little bit landed a bit flat. But no, there are elements I did like. I did like this sort of the whole pantheon of the gods thing where you have all the different cultures where they're all in this yep. arena. Yeah, when they had like omnipotent city. <laughs> yes, yeah, omnipotent city where all the gods, the gods go for their like annual orgy, and then <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah that you see how they're yeah just there's a whole sort of pantheon of them. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. And yeah, they're just sort of the, the different elements. I thought it was in yeah. So there's lots of things I liked, but for me sometimes it didn't always sort of wasn't always cohesive, but. I think I, on the whole, I quite like the idea of that it Thor was in one place at the beginning. He went through an, this experience, and then he sort of didn't. They didn't like reset the clock at the end. He has moved on to like the next phase of his life. So that's the one thing I like about the Marvel films is that it isn't like a reset the clock after every film because with some franchises, they've been through this hideous ordeal, and everything's happened to them, and then at the end of the film. They're actually very much the same as they were at the beginning. Yeah, there is no, yeah. no sort of arc or progression or consequences. So it's I thought like well, there was. It's a show up in two years old. We'll do the whole thing all over again. <laughs> yeah, and so it was. I like that. So yeah, I thought on the whole it was a bit patchy, but on the whole it was an enjoyable film. Okay, Sean, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably echo some of Sharon's stuff there. I mean, I did like. I did. <laughs> to me, Chris Hemsworth plays it so convincingly, like. The scene with with the guardians, you know, when he sort of yes, he's yes, got that look, yeah. like you know, to, to me, he, it's almost like he he portrays it, you know, and like with the with the bit, bits with the hammer and the the you know the thunder yeah. thing, whatever, and the the axe and the hammer, and, and he convinces me that he does actually he has, which is which I think is quite hard to do, you know. Yes, yeah, he does, he does feel like that. So yeah, I like that bit. I thought, um, like we said, the, what was it? What was it called again? The, the place where all the gods meet. Um, Omnipotent city. Yeah, omnipotent city, and I think like the Greek gods were played. I did like the idea that he played like a, a or was trying to not maybe not particularly successful, but like some sort of Greek person. Do you know? Oh, do you know, okay. oh, do you oh, know oh, what you I mean? mean I, I know what you mean. Like oh, because Russell, island, Russell like, Crowe. Yeah, yeah. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe shows up as Zeus. <laughs> yeah. The Greek shows... people that I've met are very similar to that, so I thought that was quite quite. Yeah, um, Russell Crowe shows up as Zeus. Okay, now the so, funny thing is that when, when Russell Crowe shows up, right, his accent to begin with, I was thinking this accent might be a hate crime. This accent yes, might be... Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, a, yes, It might be a... Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think it's, the longer the scene goes on, the less caricaturist it feels, and the more it feels like it's actually playing a character, and you're like, okay, okay. But at the yeah, beginning, yeah. like, the, the first couple of lines, you're like, oh, no. Oh, oh my no. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> where's the... Yeah, but where's the wine, and where's the... You know, where's Bacchus and all those? But the, so, yeah, it was... Um, but I agree with. I mean, I, there were some laugh out loud moments. I must. I must be honest. There were for me. There was a few yeah. laugh out loud, loud moments, and it didn't take its tail too seriously. Um, but yeah, I do agree with Sharon in the respect that there were a few, few patchy. Yeah, patchy moments is exactly right. So, but on the whole, I I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. That okay. Was quite funny, as I say, that the laugh out moments kept me going, kept me going a while. I'm not so sure about. Some of the gods at the beginning and the almost like um fantasia you know flowers and things and all that oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, one, yeah. Of the, one of the close open scenes and and i thought the ending was like again we come to this thing where people go through this whole tribulation of, of they've got something really really solid in their mind and then it's a bit like dr strange you know it's like it was like the ending was a bit a bit yeah. like the ending of dr strange yeah madness uh, I, uh, now you see now that that's going to play a, a, a part in what I think. So it after I saw this film, I went on Facebook and I just sort of put like the the plotting of Marvel movies is getting messier, or, or I think uh, uh, lazier. No, I use the word lazier. The plotting of Marvel movies is getting lazier, and I think that 
uh, I personally think that at the moment Marvel might be making too many things because I feel like there's so many things that they're doing and they're spread so thinly that I don't think that the same amount of care is being mm-hmm. is being spent on each one of these things. So there's these little like you you talk about it being patchy. There's these little bits where you're like, hang on a second, what the? And there, there's so many bits in this film where I felt like okay, this makes no sense, but it gives us an excuse to go to the next scene. And something that they do in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Man is that they also do in this film, and I think it, it's an increasing thing that only only really saw in DC movies before was beginning to creep into Marvel movies, which saddens me as, as a Marvel fan, is that there's this whole thing of, oh, we must get this thing. It's really important that we get this thing. We will spend 30 minutes of a two-hour film striving to get this thing. Okay, we've got this thing now. Yes, we've got it. Oh, it turns out we don't need this thing. <laughs> and and they do that in this film. They do it in Doctor Strange, and I'm like, that is just a messy plot thing, and it just is just an excuse for scenes to happen, but yeah. it doesn't really have a theme behind it. As I said, the way the the this film, the first scene of this film is actually quite dark, and I'm yes. not sure whether it's just because I am now a, a, a I'm not sure whether it's just because I'm now a dad, but it has to do with a dad trying to sort of like you know protect his daughter, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. dark. It's a dark place to start a film in, and it's and it's part of the reason why it makes me makes for me um Gore the God Butcher. Christian Bale's character makes him probably one of my favorite characters in the film because I just thought this guy's motivations make sense. His motivations make sense. Mm-hmm. What he wants to do makes sense and all that. And I feel that you could have had a little bit more with him in it. And he could have become like top tier Marvel bad guy, like sort of Baron Zemo in Captain America, Winter Soldier, where, oh no, Civil War, where you could see, yeah, I can understand why this guy is doing this thing. And you could see that. And that guy stands out as one of it. Uh, but it tells you something about this film that I kind of forgot it was in the cinemas. Like previous Marvel movies, I've been like, I've got to go watch this thing. I've got to go watch, before people give me any spoilers. I've got to go see this thing. And I actually forgot that this was in cinemas. I forgot about avoiding spoilers. And then all of a sudden, I was like on YouTube, and they were like, spoilers, spoiler review for Thor: Love and Thunder. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I should go see that. <laughs> which which makes me think that Marvel is losing its touch a little bit. And I feel like a little bit of that has to do with them spreading themselves too thin. Spreading themselves too thin. But having said... Sorry, Sharon. No, I would agree with that because I haven't been able to keep up with all of the series yeah. on Disney Plus because they seem to be like boom, 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 boom. There's one after another. And I barely get through one before there's another one. And now I'm about yeah. to fall behind. So I, and then once you're that far behind, you're thinking, do I really have to go back and watch you know, all of Loki, all of What If, all of... Moon Knight, the Hawkeye one, and Moon Knight, and I, I, there's probably more that I've I've missed out on because is there just too many? Yeah, well, <laughs> and it's they... not like one film. There's like eight episodes or something, and I'm thinking I, I have I can't devote that much time to just watching nothing but Marvel. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's what they're all trying to do now. All the different streaming platforms are trying to make it so that you watch nothing but them <laughs> by by sucking you into stuff. But so so I mean. I agree with a lot of what you guys said I, you, about, about it being patchy and it's Taika Waititi and the thing is with him there's sometimes when he, you you know when you're watching a film and you can feel that people are improvising and there's a lot of like you know scenes where you're just improvising and I think there is obviously that in his thing but it, it, in his in his in his cis style but after a while it wears a bit thin and there's scenes where you're thinking it, as you said it isn't quite landing and you're sort of playing around and you're doing this because you think it's funny not because it makes sense for an overall story having said that I think for one of the problems I've always had with Thor right from the first Thor movie is that the relationship with Jane Foster that didn't make any sense no. <laughs> and you yeah. and you've, you it, it made it it was very hard to sort of get this idea of of heft of emotion or anything like that with Thor, especially when we went to Ragnarok, and Ragnarok was just kind of like laugh, 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 and like as you said, Sharon, like what's off a duck's back? Oh, my father's died, no biggie. My brother's died, no biggie. My mother's died, no biggie. And in this one, they bring it back to uh to quite an emotional place where finally the Thor and Jane Foster relationship lands, and the Thor and Jane Foster relationship makes sense, and I think. I actually really like the way they went about the relationship in this. And there's a storyline from the comic that they brought in as to how Jane Foster becomes Thor that I did not think they were going to do in the film. But in the first scene that you see Natalie Portman in, I'm like, oh, oh, oh my God, they're going there. So it's a bit more grown up. It's definitely more grown up than Ragnarok. And as most, a lot of people rave about Ragnarok, I don't rave as much about Ragnarok as most people do. And I actually think that this is more grown up than Ragnarok. I might, there's elements of this I definitely prefer to Ragnarok, but I do think it's patchy. 
I do think of the MCU plotting is getting lazy and um and i hope that they rescue it because if not it's going to be a sad sad thing and a sad day at my house but all in all i think i would give this a three out of five yeah i think in some ways i'm not i'm not completely sold on the chemistry between thor and jane to yep. me they, the, the relationship does lack that it's not captain america and oh um, and agent carter, carter. Peggy carter. Yeah, it, it's there, that, that chemistry sort of like just fizz, isn't it? Whereas this, I just don't feel that chemistry there. So I oh, would Peter give Parker it, and I, MJ. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was fun. I maybe laughing in some, many places. Um, yeah. But yeah, not quite jalling for me. So I would give it a three out of five. For me, for me, yeah, um, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a three as well. As I say, I thought the ending was particularly i mean i know it wasn't supposed to be a serious film or there but the ending again was a big let off it was a, it was a let off and I, I i agree with you i'm getting fed up with that it's almost like oh well how can we end this oh well, no, let's have some stupid you know people do loads and loads of tribulations and then like it's an easy thing to oh well okay i suddenly i suddenly change track and be someone totally different you know after after going through all that yeah i, I mean it's that, you know uh, the thing is, in the final shot of the film, they explain the title of the film, and that made no sense to me. <laughs> no. But, but I did the... like, I, I did, I, I knew, you know what? I knew the after credit scene, what was going to be. I knew it. I thought that straight away. I thought, I know what it's going to be, the after credit scene is going to be. I knew it. And I know fir- I did get that. The first one, one the second one. The, the one right first at the one. end. The, the what? No, the first one. The first one. All right. Okay, cool. Cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. Although it has made an interesting addition. Somebody who you would not expect to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is now going to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's an interesting interesting casting. Okay, so action, not character. Character to be expected, action, not. Yes. Yes. uh, Marvel have gone a bit left field and and picked somebody that you would not expect to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that is in one of the that's in one of the end end credit stings. And I will leave it at that. I would that. Yeah. Three stars for Thor Love and Thunder. It's fun, but could have been better. (laughs) Sean and Sharon, we can have uh, we can have a discussion at some point and talk about whether you feel that you know the final shot with the love where love and thunder is explained and you know, we, we we could i, I just i just I, I thought the way they did it i'm like no in that case the next film should have been called love and thunder not this film mm. <laughs> but I'll, anyway. try and see it. I'll try to watch it next week yeah um all right but now we go on to streaming platforms our first streaming thing the first streaming thing of um four this week and that is aftermath now this is a film. I guess we can we can just about call it a film that <laughs> that not. And I like to point out here before Holly goes off that we did not allocate this film for Holly to see. Holly decided to see this of her own accord so she could have something to talk about on the podcast. So we didn't say Holly that would be a good film to see. But judging by what she wrote to us on the WhatsApp group, it was not that nice an experiment experience. Would you say that Holly? That is correct. Okay, so um, if, if you if you can be bothered to relive it, tell us what this film's okay. about. So, it was made in 2021. It stars Ashley Green, whom I only know of from Twilight prior to this. After seeing this, I actually went and watched Twilight again to make myself feel better, which gives you a real understanding. Oh, uh, and Sean Ashmore, uh, who I recognise but couldn't identify and have checked, is um, Iceman in... Yeah, uh, he's one of the X-Men. Yeah. And Lamplighter in the Boys. Yes, he also has a twin brother, Aaron, Aaron Passmore, that you, Ashmore, that you could not tell apart from him. Ah, uh, that could add to some of my vast <laughs> confusion. I've also discovered that there are on IMDb seven films called Aftermath, so it's not a, it's not <laughs> a niche title. Uh, this one begins with. Uh, Sean Ashmore working in uh, clearing up a house after some sort of murder. He appears to be in some sort of house cleaning crew thing where they go and, you know, make things better. Something it's slightly mystifying, doesn't entirely make sense. Um, It then becomes apparent that he is married to Ashley Green, who is a budding fashion designer. And that's all very lovely, but their relationship is clearly somewhat strained. Um, What? I know who would have thought. It turns out that she had an affair and 
he's struggling to get over it and they're seeing a marriage therapist and it's all very very exciting and suddenly and the, oh and the marriage therapist says maybe you need to you know maybe you need like a, a change of scene and so for reasons i don't entirely understand sean ashmore asks the sister of the deceased owner of the house he's just been cleaning out if they could buy it at a knockdown price um i don't know why where anybody's logic would have been to get there but that's what he did uh, and ashley green says oh no this all seems dreadful no we can't be buying the houses where people have been murdered that's awful um and then with some sort of you know arms throwing arms in the air it turns out his brother had killed himself and that's why she'd gone off and had an affair because he wasn't present in the marriage and he'd quit college so she says she'll do this on the basis that he will go back to college as well and so suddenly they're buying the buying this very very fancy house where there's been a murder suicide uh, okay at the moment uh, the the phrase pick a story comes to mind yes yes it does. <laughs> yes yeah it, it's completely illogical so low they they buy at a discounted rate this very very fancy very digitally controlled house uh, which somehow very likely gets woven into the story but not in a logical fashion it the house was designed by the dead woman it's really this incoherent and things start to happen and temperature sensors change and it's something happens to the dog and you know the haunted electric house Ta -da! Yeah. hello the house is electric and things are yeah things are happening and all oh, what's going on it's all very suspect you know bad things seem to be happening is she losing her mind why does nobody believe her why is it that you know somebody sharp at the door responding to a white supremacist ad you, so many questions many of which are <laughs> never entirely answered um, you get to the end of the film, there is a twist, unsurprisingly, it's not the twist I expected. The other twist is also not the twist I'd expected, but that's because they're really stupid. Extremely, <laughs> extremely stupid twists. There's no point to them. You get to the end, like, I don't understand how you got to this. I don't see that there's any logic that led to this outcome. I have massively wasted my time, but it was more fun than doing the work I should probably be doing at the same time. So, so um, I, I, I somewhat dread to ask, how many stars would you give it? If I could give it less than one, I would do so. <laughs> and this is even, you know, knowing my periodic desire to give high star ratings to things that I find joyous, albeit bad. Um, this is neither, neither <laughs> joyous nor good. It's not the worst acting I've ever seen, but it is... It is close. Don't don't do it. Feel grateful that it's now something you can officially put on your. I must never ever watch this list. <laughs> All right, cool. So that is that is one star, one star for aftermath. And I have to say, when you shared you shared on our WhatsApp group, you shared the the sort of IMDb listing and the thumbnail for this film came up, and immediately I was kind of like, that thumbnail tells you everything you need to know about this film. It looked it it, it looked like because that thumbnail it looked like. It looked like, you know, 11, 11 p.m. on Channel 5 on a weekday kind of thing, <laughs> kind of vibe. Those sort of films where you're like, who keeps making these things? Why does Channel 5 keep buying these things? At one time, it was straight to DVD yes. or straight to video. Yes. And you might have come across it on a Friday night when you're clicking through the, the video boxes to see yes. to find something to watch. And I think I, we used to call them Medusa films because there was a very cheap studio that made a certain type of film. And then you'd buy a film because it looked promising. And as soon as you saw the Medusa thing, we'd go, oh, no. Oh, no, we've been had. <laughs> <laughs> we've been <laughs> fooled by the box. <laughs> and you oh. knew it was going to be complete hat. <laughs> For some reason, I was having my head there having been a Medusa thing to do with this, even though it's clearly unrelated. I have some sort of vague recollection of their, the opening credit things having had a sort of Grecian. Okay, cool. No! So, Medusa so, so... lives. 
Well, thank thankfully, but Sharon, thankfully, the thing is that now that now that it is all streaming, and you don't actually have to go down to somewhere and spend your money to rent a video thing and then walk all the way back home. You can watch the first ten seconds, know it, and then go, nope, not for me, and nope. leg it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. But sometimes, so, if you have to have a film to review, you just think, I've got to review something this week. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna sit here for the hour and a half. I'm gonna do this oh. for my craft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so so I was thinking because we didn't have that much in cinema, I was thinking that Netflix might win. But with that one to aftermath, cinema might have a chance this week. <laughs> cinema might just have a chance. But going back to cinema, we now go to the other film that we saw this week, or shall I say, Sean saw this week, because Sean is the finder out of obscure tiny titles, usually British, that are being that they seem to be trying to bury at the cinema. And this is Brian and Charles. So Sean, tell me what this is about. Okay, Brian and Charles. This is this is a British movie. It takes place in Wales. It's a Welsh village, and you've got this chap. He's really unassuming. He's, uh, you know, he's very shy. Uh, but he's an inventor, and he invents invents these ridiculous things. And then one day he decides. It's funny you should say like Ricky Gervais earlier on. This it's it's a bit that way. It's a bit sort of officey type. Yeah. Type. But um, so I know the creator has worked with Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he decides he's going to create this robot out of a um, washing machine. Well, he basically, he goes to a fly tip and then he finds his head. Finds a head like you see the one in the background. Or finds the head of this mannequin and decides that he's going to make a robot out of a washing machine and a few other electrical bits. And, of course, it doesn't work. He switches it on, don't work. He goes to the village. There's this, this girl that sort of is really shy as well, but they really like each other, but they can't. You know, they pass each other and have an awkward, awkward conversation in the street. Anyway... Storm starts, it's got electrical, so and he comes back to his, his house and there's these lights going like <laughs> and it's like he's like, Oh no and he goes in there and um the you know, the robot's gone, he's going, Oh no, where is he? And he comes back and the robot's in the in the cabbage patch, you know. Anyway, cut a long story short, he takes them. Does anybody at one point in time during this storm go, It's a lie Not at all, not at all. <laughs> but it is it is a bit that way. Um and anyway, so he takes him indoors. He falls asleep and he wakes up and the robot's got, you can't really see it there with the glasses, but he's got like a, a blinking eye. He says, can you turn your, your bright blue light out? He goes, no, I cannot do. And he's read the dictionary. So this robot becomes sort of self-aware yeah. um, through, through going through the dictionary. And he's, <laughs> it's great. Some of the things he says, oh, cabbage, cabbage, but he loves cabbages. Cabbages are the thing. But So it's just, there's, there's this cabbage theme that runs all the way through the movie. Um, but obviously he doesn't want him to go into the village or anything, so he tries to keep him under cop and the robot gradually becomes a bit like a, a bit like a stroppy child, you know. Oh, yep. dead as you. And there's this horrible family in the village which are real bullies. And um, you know, so a re- really nasty, horrible family that you find find in a in a village and they decide they sort of find see the robot, take it away, and they've got to chuck it on a bonfire and anyway all this. So it is so that's that's basically the story. It's a, it's a friendship story, really, because they, they become really, really good friends, you know, and he sort of becomes protective. And then the girl that I said was an awkward moment, they become a bit close and the robot gets a little bit, a little bit sort of jealous, shall we say, and he's like, oh, <laughs> but the way he talks, this, oh, this, this was such, such a good movie. It really was, it was one of those top great films, which I've no idea whether they don't go to other cinemas, you know. Because um, I know it wasn't on the Isle of Wight, but yeah, if this was, I mean, all right, some people don't like Ricky Gervais, and although it is that sort of style, there's enough in it to, I don't know, it's just fun. And, and the robot is, I don't even know who plays the robot, to be fair, but he's absolutely brilliant. And it's even though there's no expressions on the face, there sort of is. Yeah. And I, I've got a little, the, the, the bloke, the bully bloke, was really, really quite a nasty, and his family were really, really nasty. And, being a bully is obviously, you know, the guy, the inventor, he's like, oh, you know, I can't do nothing because he's scared of him and pushes him about. But then he invents something at the end. So there's, there's a bit of redemption there at the end, which is which is really nice. But, yeah, it's a great film. This loved it. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Uh, okay, so so Sean, from what you said, okay, in the last couple of weeks, I'm looking at our history of films that we have reviewed, and in the in the sort of subcategory of films that Sean has found that are not showing very very many places, 
We have all my friends hate me. Good luck to you, Leo Grand, and now Brian and Charles. All British, all tiny, all with a very, very tiny cinema release, and all of them have been good. So they, they have been, yeah, yeah, terrific. They have been. You, you know, I mean, this was just. Oh, do you think I, because of my, you know, like the, the stupidness of movies, how could you have like a big, big washing machine? You know, you sort of, that's one, but then, oh, I've got a rough washing machine for my tummy, you know, and, uh, but it just works, you know. I thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm not going to like this, but it was just so funny. And the relationship between them was really, really, oh, it's just, it was just, you know, they really, really liked each other. And when he gets sort of taped, yeah. So even though there's no expressions on the robot, there is, or you, you feel there is, you know, so. Yeah, terrific. Really different, really unusual. Um, some reminds me a bit, as I say, I think it's, it takes a little bit from Frankenstein, you know, the modern Prometheus yeah, thing and yeah. with the electrical start. But And the cabbages, the cabbages, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I bring, you stay here, I'll bring you some cabbages, you know. Can I, can I have a crinkly one or can I have a, you know, what? anyway. Yeah, terrific movie. Um, just trying to think, probably using our categories, it's a, it's a really, really strong four-star movie. This really, really oh, super nice. strong four movie. Really enjoyed it. Really strong four-star movie. So four stars for Brian and Charles. No, because with this, I could say that it would either be so silly that it would drive you around the bend, Sean, or it could be one that you actually quite liked. So exactly right. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I figured that. I figured that it's a kind of film that I don't think it would be in the middle. You either hate it or you'll be like, "Oh, this is actually really good." Mm-hmm. Right. So. If you can find it, if you can find a cinema, you can track down Brian and Charles. Find it. Otherwise, tell us what tell us what streaming service is going to end up on because I never know which one of which streaming service these things are going to end up on. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, like all the different film companies and producers come up at the start. So it was Film Four, yep. BFI. Yeah. So I should imagine you're going to get it on on Film Four and you know, amongst other places. So yeah. Not. All right, cool. Good stuff. Oh, yeah, it might be an awful. Anyway, so going forward now, well, let's go on to Apple TV Plus and we'll go back to Sharon and my world, uh, our, our aim and our, our, our campaign to watch everything on Apple TV Plus before it is yanked from us in five months' time when we can no longer be bothered, when we cannot be bothered to pay for it because we have our five months free and we're using the five months on nothing else. And so... You watched Coda, which made me go, well, I guess I should watch Coda because this was the film. This is the current reigning Best Picture Award winner. And so, Sharon, do you want to tell us what Coda's about? Yes, I had forgotten that fact, actually, until after I had watched it because I thought, what a good film. Um, but yes, the film is a Coda. It stands for Child of Death, Ad- Deaf Adults. Yep. And so uh, the Coda in this case is a young girl who grow, has grown up as the only hearing member of her family. Both of her parents and her older brother are all um, completely deaf, and they rely upon signing um, when they work. But they all work together on a trawler boat in the north, sort of east of America, and they go out to, in the, before school, she goes out on the boat and she helps them pull it in, and if ever the alarm goes off, or there's any signal that she answers the radio for them. So she is basically the ears for the family. Yeah. But they normally run the boat themselves. And But she has a secret that they don't, aren't aware of. And that, that secret is that she loves to sing uh, because it's not something that's part of their world. Music is, they listen to music, but because they can hear the, feel the vibrations and they can feel the beat. So um, music is, but the sort of singing is just not part of their world. And so she basically joins a choir and the choir master says you know discovers that you know she has a voice and a talent and that she should do something with her talent and then you get this conflict between her responsibilities towards her family and what how what she feels is her responsibility for her family rather than you know to them but she feels like in some ways she has to be there because she is the ears yeah and and it's in a hearing world to be to be without hearing you are excluded and you are separate. So they are an unit entire to themselves. They are part of the community, but separate from it. So even though they know the fishermen, they know the, the women in the, the school and they know part of it, they are completely almost like disconnected from the, the, the community in which they live. So when she gets this opportunity to sing, there becomes this real conflict between where she feels she should be, i.e. looking after her family, even though she's a teenage girl, and that desire to pursue her own dreams. Yeah. 
Yes, and I have to say, I watched this film and you've said it already. I watched it and I just thought, oh, that is a lovely little film. <laughs> it's a lovely little film. And there were there were bits in it where I thought, oh, I hope they do this. I hope they... And like where they try and get you into the into the point of view of what it's like to, as you said, live in, be a deaf person living in a world in in a hearing world and how much oh, how isolating that can be. And there's one particular scene that they do that it links because I think they've they, they've chosen something the fact that she can sing like there's a bit at the beginning right at the beginning where she's singing on the boat and. You and she's singing quite loud, and it's a kind of it's a kind of scene where you have a family that you can imagine someone be oh shut up oh what's wrong with you oh, oh oh who's killing a cat or something and nobody says anything and you realize oh yeah her family her parents and her brother are deaf so they don't have a clue what she's doing <laughs> they they actually just don't know and it and it was and there's a bit during a concert that they do something with the sound in the film that I was just kind of like, that is, that's great. There were a couple of yeah. things in the film where I was like, I really want this to happen. I really want this to happen. And, but then the way they do it, you're like, yes, that works so much. I love the parents. I love the parents played by Troy Kutzer, who won the Oscar for his role, and Marley Matlin. I think that they are brilliant. I think that their relationship is hilarious. I think that the way they parent just cracked me up. <laughs> cracked me up. I think that the parents are brilliant in it. And it also does this. This I think it's a it's a very difficult trick to pull off in a film where it presents you with an obstacle, and you understand how big this obstacle is, and you understand how how important it is for the characters, and why this is an obstacle, and why it's such a big thing. Of do I stay at home or do I leave? And but at the end of the film, when when the the way that the, it plays out, you actually go, oh, hang on a second. It's not as big as we thought, but at the same time, as it might as it not be, it might not be as big as you thought. But they get across to you emotionally how much of a bind this is for the characters, and how much of a how how much uh, how much of a pain this is for the characters. And I thought that it did that very, 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 very well. Mm -hmm. um, while I'm not sure about Best Picture, I thought it was I, I thought it was a great film. I thought it was a great film. Yeah. I thought the performances were brilliant. I thought that the central premise was really good, and I thought. The idea of getting across to you how alienating it can be for a deaf person, I thought I I, I walked away going, "Future, never thought about that before." But yeah, yeah, yeah. that that oh. good lord, that obviously yeah. being a hearing person and having heard stuff, I, I'm, I'm I'm thinking that must be terrible. But they haven't known anything different, and they just get on with it. And I think that that's uh, I, I I thought it was quite good. Anyway, Holly, what did you think? I I loved it, and I thought the cast was fantastic. Uh, a real a real delight it was it, it was a, a proper you know give you all the feels sort of film yeah um, and I, I there was there was definitely crying i mean i cried <laughs> so, you know, that's not really indicative of much but i thought it was i thought it was absolutely fantastic loved it and i thought it, it really did deserve you know the recognition it got uh, given it's it is i mean it's the, the first of its we, we've not had anything of its ilk before mm. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think this is a film that I will immediately put on the shelf with Little Miss Sunshine, but a little bit behind mm. Little Miss Sunshine because I think Little Miss Sunshine is pretty much a perfect film. I think, but the same way that it takes a family, it takes something that like looks like it's it should be a tiny thing, but it actually shows shows you how important it is and what it means to these family members. I I love Little Miss Sunshine and I looked Coda and I looked at Coda and thought, yeah, put that on the shelf right behind it. That oh man, there's mm. oh. Anyway, anyway, I'll, if if I start talking, I'm going. If I start talking, I'm going to start talking about all the bits that I wanted to happen in the film that did happen, and yeah. and and how that the, some of the moments when they happened were a little bit magical. I don't feel that bad saying that were a little bit magical. So, how many stars? There were standout yeah. moments throughout. I thought, yeah, really yeah. good. And the fact that it wasn't a depicted as a perfect family, in in that they didn't argue, they didn't have their disagreements, they didn't like shout at each other. You know as families do because i think we often see a depiction of families on film where a happy family has to be one that doesn't disagree with each other yeah or, whereas you can still fight you can bicker you can get cross you can get fed up you can say you know what i need a day off from you lot and and still be a loving happy family so i thought to me it looked like it was like a more felt like a more of a, a realistic yeah. depiction of family life than lots of what we see as happy families on screen so no yeah. I, yeah, I really wanted it I, I don't think I can I cannot stress how much I love the parents <laughs> <I> cannot, <laughs> they, they, were, 
they were almost like teenagers. I mean, that was hilarious. Oh, all right. Um, uh, sorry. Okay, before before. Okay, how many stars would you guys give it before I go it too far? I know Sharon, you first. Well, I'm torn about this one. I think it's it's easily a four, but is it tipping over into a five? Because in some ways, I can't find any flaws in it, as in bits that really wound me up. So I think on the way I the way I sort of determine how I rate films, I think this is is a five star film because I can't find anything to take anything. Normally, I start with the perfect score, then I deduct. Yeah. things I don't wow. like and I wow. don't think that I is... can delete anything from this film so I would give it a five I think I don't think you've ever given I think you've only perhaps only given one five star before yeah you? it's rare I, I, it's a rare beast yeah. it's a rare beast indeed wow Holly I'm going five as well wow okay, okay cool and I I would give it a four I would give it a four because there's bits of it that I do feel are a bit formulaic I mean it's it's brilliant and it is charming but there's bits of it that I think are a bit formulaic. It almost kind of follows the script of a sports movie, <laughs> and and it, uh, it, it it kind of follows the script of a sports movie. But um, but I think it gets I should, away with. I should have to I should have to try and find that then and then see, yeah, see what I think. Because I mean that's highly recommended. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Apple yeah. Apple TV Plus Apple TV Plus Sean. I I, I think oh we are Coda. I I I really really liked it. I thought it, I thought it was a I thought it was a really really good film, so I will give that I will give Coda a four, and now we go on to let's see where should we go blah 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 let's go to How to Please a Woman now How to Please a Woman which is a film that is is almost kind of like a duo this there must be something in the water you know how you have films that come along that similar and we had Good Luck to You Leo Grand a couple of weeks ago now we have How to Please a Woman which are on the surface of it about older ladies, shall we say, who are um, rediscovering themselves sexually. Sharon, would that be accurate? What is this about? Yes, I think it's... I haven't seen um, the Rio... Yeah. Le, I say Rio Grande. Leo Grande <laughs> one. <laughs> um, but yes, I think it's of that ilk. It's of that type. Um, over the last few years, we've seen a few more films about women, merely for women. And so I think... This is in that school, but it is set in Australia, so it gives a little bit of a twist. And it's got Sally Phillips, who is an English woman who's married to Australia and been living in Australia for a long time. And as is sort of like we've become to expect from these films, um, she uh, she wants to be happily married, but there's something that's just not quite right in her marriage. Her husband basically doesn't fancy her anymore, <laughs> and she is finding that her relationship is just flatline. And so she has spent a lot of time at work and she basically has become like the office, not the office drudge, but she has become part of the furniture where they expect a lot of her, but she has no recognition. Yeah. And then basically in an office reshuffle, she gets made redundant. And they say in an office reshuffle, you know, how many other people have been made redundant? And it's like, well, basically it's just you. So she feels undervalued in her life and she feels undervalued in her job. And then, but part of the job that she does is they evaluate businesses and they determine whether they are viable or not. And she goes to this one business, which is a moving firm. And they, the, her, the people she worked with before said it's not a viable company, but she believes there's, there's something in it. And it, then this then coincides with all her friends have noticed that she's feeling a bit low. And so they basically employ a stripper to go around to her house. And he is a stripper who offers benefits. And he says, she says, basically, you know, I'll do anything you want. And he like gives her like a wink, you know, anything you want. And, and she goes, well, would, would you clean my house? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I really want would be a man to like do the cleaning. And so he like, he, he takes his shirt off and he basically ineptly sort of cleans the house. And it basically gives her an idea that um, could we provide, it's, it's, the idea to start off with is like, we will provide men the people from the men from the this removal company that she was going to shut down and said that could you learn how to clean and go to women's houses and like clean their house for them and then the first time this the guy who was a stripper he goes to the house they assume that he isn't just a cleaner that he is a cleaner with benefits a, a personal service as it were <laughs> and so he does and then she's like no 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 this is not what we're doing and then it's like the 
the more women contact her saying, no, 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 that's what I want. Um, yeah, he can clean, but I also want, you know, um, the extra on the side. Uh, so yes that, um, and so the business builds up in that by reputation she starts this very successful business of providing cleaning services and also sexual services for her clients and if what they want it, it, it all depends on what they want all right cool so 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 far so I would say almost kind of like you know small British industry film calendar girls for Monty kind of thing so oh what did you think of it it definitely has that vibe about it yeah again I watched it because I noticed we had reviewed the sort of whole um, Leo Grand film uh, and part of me is uncomfortable basically because I'm uncomfortable with the whole um, sex industry yeah <laughs> and the idea in this film is that nearly every woman she meets young old in the in that all have mates at swimming all of the late some of the ladies at work they're all like yeah let's go pay for a man to um do stuff do stuff, do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're all like fine with it they're all like oh yeah it's like empowering i this is what i want this is what i'm gonna have and i'm just always slightly uncomfortable thinking i can't imagine if i <laughs> if i said to my friends you know what i've got this idea for a business <laughs> and all my friends went yeah let's pay for sex what a great idea i can't imagine my friend the world's turning the world's turning yeah i was just sitting in my office and looking around the room i'm thinking i don't know that i'd make a lot of money doing that (laughs) (laughs) the cleaning i could see but i'm not too sure that they're all desperate you know to um well, be sexually liberated in quite when they have to pay for it as well. So, it, it, it is Australian. It is Australian. Yeah. So I thought it was a fun film. I thought, yeah, they had sort of. It had some levels to it. It was quite funny in places, quite excruciating in others. Where there's one scene that I was like, "Whoa, well, yeah, look." <laughs> um, but it, on the whole, I thought it was yeah a, a fun film, but not um. Yes, with with for me with some reservations. So I'll give it a a good three, um, but I probably wouldn't um, score it higher than that. All right, cool. So three stars for how to please a woman, and th- th- this makes me think another thing that I really like about Coda. It's one of the few times that you see depicted on on screen a couple who are married at the beginning of the film. They're into their marriage. They have kids and everything like that, and they're actually happy. <laughs> the trope yeah, is always right. like if there's if people have been married on screen for longer than five years, it's gonna end. They're not gonna be married by the end of the film. <laughs> it's yeah. it's you, and you, in some ways I'm like rooting for them, thinking, "Come on, I'm sure you could sort of bring this level of enthusiasm to your marriage." And she on in this film she tries, uh, but then you do get introduced to another silver fox, and it's a bit like I can see where this is going. Uh, <clears throat> I see what's happening here. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, so the world, world, the world turns. The world turns, doesn't it? Really, the world the, turns now. Older, older ladies with younger men, whereas like maybe ten, twenty years ago, it would. You know, it, it would have been like, what the, what the hell's yeah. going on? Yeah, what's going on? But well, right. as you get old, as you get older, I can understand <laughs> the reasons. <laughs> as a man, <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah. Moving swiftly on, <laughs> swiftly on to something that. That doesn't touch any of that thing. We're going back to the world of Marvel. We're going back to the MCU. And this is, Sean, you were talking about all the Marvel different TV shows and stuff that you have to catch up with. This is one that I don't think you have to watch much else to catch up with. And I think is wholly, totally, 100% worth your time. And this is Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel, which finished yesterday as we record this. They released the final episode yesterday. And the whole idea behind this is Miss Marvel in the comics is the first Pakistani-American superhero that Marvel ever had. So obviously you have this whole thing about representation. You have the fact that a lot of the superheroes for ages were white men and they started bringing in white women and they were like, hey, how about then there were black people and all. But there's still areas that were not quite represented. Even when they were represented, they were a bit ham-fisted, a bit like when you had Shang-Chi. When he came in there, you had the whole Fu Manchu thing. and it, uh. But this was created by a Pakistani-American woman. And it was, and it's, um, it's about a girl called uh, Kamala Khan who lives in Jersey City. She's a teenager and she is a massive, massive Avengers fan. So in this, in her world, she loves the Avengers the way some people love Justin Bieber. And she like, she, and she's particularly a fan of Carol Danvers as in Captain Marvel. 
the played by Brie Larson. She's particularly a fan of, and she's like, oh my god, and she knows all this stuff, and she wants to go to Avenger Con, which is like, um, which is essentially like Comic Con, but for Avengers and people who are a fan of the Avengers. And you go there, and at Comic Con, they have people dressed up in cosplay as the Hulk and Ant Man, and there's a big massive thing with like, you know, they're an infinity gauntlet, and so essentially, it's kind of like going to a real life Comic Con, but only in this world, the Avengers exist, and. She will shortly before she goes along to this thing, she receives a, a, a box of family heirlooms from Pakistan, from her grandmother in Pakistan. And she has this bangle that she puts on her wrist and she's like, oh, what is this? And it's always something in your family. And it turns out that that bangle does something and unlocks something in her and she has powers. So she has powers and you go into this whole thing and then, you know, Marvel origin story and all that. However, this is not just your average Marvel origin story because this is a this is one my headline is this is the best thing marvel have done in ages this tv show is the best thing marvel have done in ages i mean the fact that they before the show was released there was a whole bunch of talk about the makers talking about how there was it looked like they were going to change her powers because in the comic her powers are kind of like you know mr fantastic look my hand is now this size now my hand is massive and i'm stretchy and i'm bendy and they looked like they were changing the the origin of her powers in the tv show and there was a big opera people going how dare you change it we love kamala khan the way she is and there was all this talk about how they were going to make sure that the powers were linked with her heritage and where she came from and it sounded like you know before a bond film when the people were making the bond film convince you and tell you that oh yeah no don't worry this time the bond girls actually have agency and the bond girls are really blah 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 and the bond girls and you watch the film and the bond girl arc is meet james bond sleep with james bond get killed <laughs> and you're like what, what are we talking about but this time all the stuff that they were saying beforehand it totally goes in i mean the family unit the way everything links with the family the way she gets her costume dang near made me cry the way she got the way she gets her the way she gets her name makes me cry and this is a this is a marvel show that is not that bothered about the bad guy it is not that bothered about oh we've got to get a bad guy and i've got to go on an adventure it's bothered about this young pakistani american girl figuring out who she is from her heritage as and this is the this is one of the first times when you actually have the superhero heritage not coming from the united states but coming from there's a there's a whole scene where they go to pakistan there's a whole bit where marvel go into the fact that um pakistan and india used to be one country but were partitioned by the british and the the pain and the hurt that that caused and i was just kind of watching this going i cannot believe marvel are doing this <laughs> i can't believe that they're going there that they're going into his, history there is one particular scene one of the episodes ends with this massive scene at a train station that you just kind of like whoa and i loved this show if you cannot already tell I love is it, this. Is, is it a series? Is it a series? It's a series. Film? Six episodes. It's a series. Six yeah. episodes on Disney Plus. Right. So, and I thought it was. I, I said. I think. I think it's the best thing Marvel have done in ages. I think everything. So yeah, I know Sean. For instance, you always complain about how people get their outfits, and it's kind of like, wait, how did they get the outfit? How did they? How did they figure out to make something yeah. like high tech? And it, and in this, the way they get the outfit, the way it links to who she is, and the way it links to the culture, and the the fact that it's this thing about representation, and the scenes of people going. The scenes of people outside a mosque because she's well, not only is she a, she's a, not only is she a brown Pakistani girl in Jersey, she's also a Muslim. So it's the first Muslim superhero as well. And the scenes of people outside a work a, a mosque shouting and going, "Yeah, yeah, we got our own superhero!" And what it means for these people to actually have a brown superhero. I just thought this this show was so light-hearted, kind-hearted, brilliant. There's some shonky CGI, but I will allow it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll just look over the shonky CGI. I just sort of say that the, the cast, brilliant. The family, brilliant. The the lead actress, Iman Vellani, brilliant. And I just thought, I, I thought that they, it, Marvel did brilliantly with this show. So I would give this, I'll give it a four out of five. I'm not going to give it a five. I'm going to give it a four out of five. Okay, and I think we just about have enough time. We might have to go off and come back on. We just about have enough time to give Sean feedback on what we thought about Greyhound. Something else that Sharon and I watched on Apple TV+. Plus. So Sean is already, you can go back and you can look at Sean's review of Greyhound. It's World War II, it's Tom Hanks, he's on a ship. And they're trying to get a convoy across the Atlantic from the US to the UK to help with the war effort. And um, it's about them versus German U-boats that are trying to sink them. And that's it. Sean, what did you think? Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was in some ways quite um, simple. Yes. <laughs> a simple storyline. Yes. Because I thought there's no 
because you know those sort of films like we've seen films in the past like Cruel Sea, Grey Lady Down. There's there's all sorts of films about you know sort of submarine warfare versus you know, the Met Nazis and the German U-boats. Um, and I thought this was basically yeah a, quite a straightforward good guy versus bad guys. The good guys are in the boats trying to get across the Atlantic. The bad guys are in the U-boats. We don't really know anything about them they were just these disembodied voices so as a straightforward story i thought yes it had a little bit of tension in it a bit of you know um but it was it was a, a straightforward story there was not not a lot awful lot of sort of depth or, or to it but and know so sort of, for what it was enjoyable yeah i liked it i had one of my uncles as you know i've got many many uncles who are in the army at yep. that time i did have an uncle who was a merchant navy man he joined up at the age of 16 because he wasn't old enough to go into the regular Navy. So he didn't want to wait. So at 1939, he joined the Merchant Navy at the age of 16 and was in the Battle of the North Atlantic in the the convoys. He was torpedoed twice, and but survived the war and went on to be, spent the rest of his working life as a merchant seaman. So that was part of my family history that was interesting. So I saw that, I was thinking, yeah, I know this story. <laughs> Um, so I enjoyed it. Uh, it wasn't yeah anything. I don't think we learned anything new from it, but it was enjoyable from that. So I'll give it a three. Now, Sharon, I uh, when you talk about it being simple, when you talk about it being simple, I, I agree with you. It's it's kind of like it's it it isn't anything more than sort of like a cat and mouse game between a ship and a U boat. And I think that for people who are in, like Sean, I know that you you quite like this. You quite like this. I, I loved it. I thought it was terrific for him. I yeah. thought, I mean, as Navy Seas goes, I'd put it well up there with the cruel sea and in which we serve. And and I mean, it's it's yeah, it's a top. This I don't see what's not to like about it myself. Well, well, no, no. This is the thing. I think that because Sean, you're into your World War Two stuff, and you're especially you're into your World War Two minutia. So yeah, you're yeah, the yeah. kind of person who will watch a World War Two film and go, wrong uniform, wrong belt. Well, they didn't yeah, have those yeah. boots at that time. Uh, and I, I mean, I think what it is in that with like when they when they run out of, of depth charges and stuff like that, and they have to use the secondary armaments and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, for technical yeah. detail, for technical it, detail, it was spot on. I mean, I, I couldn't fault it on that. Even even the aircraft when the aircraft comes over and says, "Okay, we'll take over now." Thanks very much, Brown. Yeah, you and, know, and for the, me, that's what made it. That's what yeah, made it. And, and that and, and Sean and Sean, that's the thing. That is where I think the film excels. That is where I think the film excels, and I and I think if you're a World War II buff and you like your detail, this film luxuriates in the detail, and that's why even though it's a simple story, a lot of the running time is is spent on the detail of how you fight a U-boat. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the running time, there's a lot of Tom Hanks stood on a deck with binoculars looking at something running in running to the other side looking at binoculars and like a whole bunch of like you know real technical speed of like 45 degrees north it's like oh we're going to beat something in the water and there's a, a pillsburger this is pillsburger what's a pillsburger and like there's there's all this technical detail it was written yeah, yeah, yeah. by tom hanks and tom hanks is a well-known world war ii buff he's a well-known one for that's why like you know his bound of brothers the pacific he's been involved in all these things that try to tell you about world war ii and you can see the level of detail and the level of nerdery about yeah, World yeah. War Two that has gone into making this film, and and how much you how much you enjoy this film depends on how much you enjoy the nerdery and like the specific detail, like because it's almost kind of like a play by play thing of how you would fight a U boat with with uh, what was it was it a destroyer. Oh. Yeah, destroyers. Yeah, destroyers yeah, were made especially yeah. to fight U boats. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was. It's like a play by play book of how you fight yeah, this and, it's, it's, and, it's and, then, and the psychological, the psychological things that the Germans start doing, saying, "Oh, we're gonna get you, we're gonna get you," and they and they're going, "Okay, cool. Uh, we got to send even the bit where they go. We need to send a message back to the home base to let us know what can we send. Well, shall we send this message? No, too long. We should them know they'll figure it out. How we send this? Yes, yeah. this the other people get exactly what we." It's just the level of detail that even though I am not a World War II buff and I'm not into that stuff and into that kind of detail, I appreciate it because I was like, oh, I see what they're doing here. And you don't see this that often. So it's not like a bombast. It's not like the action version of this kind of stuff. It's not quite Hunt for Red October. It's not like no. it's not like it's not like a pulp though. This is this is a serious aficionados. This is how you do this. This yeah, is how they probably it. did it. And this is how by they, the numbers, as they say in the military, we're going to yeah. do this by the numbers. Yeah, we're and, going to do it by the numbers. We're going to start off here, and they keep telling you how far away it is until they get onto the bit where they have air cover. 
And I think it explained a thing that I never knew existed. Like they had to have this convoy, they had to go across the Atlantic, where there's a large swathe of place where they're not really protected. Yeah, they can't. <laughs> but by air power, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's not, there wasn't really many aircraft that that could, you know, that could traverse um, the Atlantic at that time. Anti-submarine yeah. warfare. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, for that, I, I appreciated. It. I thought it was good. I think I would probably give it, and I would give it a. I would agree with Sharon. I'll give it a three for general populace, yeah. but I'll give it a four if you like your World War Two stuff because I, I really appreciated that they mm. didn't try and Hollywood the thing up. Mm. I really appreciated no, that, that it was good. that it was them going through. This is what it was actually like, and yeah. and after about five, well, no, ten, fifteen minutes of the film, you get that that's what they're doing. Although, they Elizabeth Shue is in this film. But if you blink, you will miss her. And I do not understand what the hell she's doing in this film. That just, that, <laughs> that reeked, that reeked of a whole storyline that they had, ex, that they, they cut, cut from out. the film. Out, and, yeah. I, and, and I'm thinking it must be, it must have been a contractual thing that they said that she had in a contract that said, you cannot totally cut me out of this film. You must say that I'm in this film, so I must, I must get the credit. So they leave two scenes where she says about five lines. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, it's Elizabeth Shue, for goodness sake. You don't put Elizabeth Shue in your <laughs> film for five lines. What the heck is going on here? <laughs> so it, I think it, it might have been stronger if they just left everything at sea. Forget about that scene with her in the hotel with Tomax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was that was pretty, pretty. I don't know what that was in there for. I, I, but, I, mean, I don't know what that was doing there. So. I don't know what that was doing there. <laughs> to explain right, but, the slippers. That was all it was there for, to explain the slippers. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking oh, the right. slip uh, because that, unless this guy was actually a real person, unless the character that Tom Hanks plays is actually a real person, why do you need the slippers? It doesn't make any, it doesn't add anything to the. Uh, sorry, that, that for me was just like a mystery. I was like, the whole thing, I was like, why was Elizabeth Shue in this film again? I hope she got paid well. Whatever happened. All right, cool. So now, um, so Greyhound aside, final thing. Who do you think won this week? Netflix or cinema? I think Netflix. Yeah. I think Netflix won. The big fives did it, yeah. The two fives and the four, I think. Yeah. Even, even in the face of the one. Yeah. <laughs> see, yeah, no, I think it's an average, but then I suppose if we're averaging them, I mean... What was oh, no, it? yeah, it's, it's an average. We're doing it on, we're four, doing it on cinema, average. Cinema, we got, what, a four, four and a... A four and a three. A four, four and a three. three, so that's seven, and we reviewed how many... How many uh... We reviewed... I'm not counting Greyhound because we've already reviewed that before. So we reviewed four things on, on streaming services. So Aftermath, Coda, How to Please a Woman, Miss Marvel. Oh, it could be tighter than I think I then. Think, I, I think, think it's streaming. Mm. You, okay, so Sharon, you're sticking with streaming. Yeah. Holly, you're sticking with streaming. Yeah, yeah I, I will stick with streaming. Sean, you stick with streaming. Yeah. The winner of this week of Netflix vs. Cinema is... Cinema. Wow! Wow! Aftermath is done. Aftermath. Aftermath. This no. Aftermath. The savior of cinema. Aftermath. The savior of cinema. Because the thing is, I thought that this was going to be, as I said, a total Netflix week. But then when you gave the aftermath of one, I was like, ooh this could get interesting and that one was just so hard to fight back from and, I'm, I'm and Netflix and Friends did they tried they, they fought hard we had a, we had two fives a four a three another four but still Aftermath was just there holding everybody down like an albatross around their necks I'm trying to think if there was any way I could have lifted the score up from a one and but no, we no, like, I like cinema yeah, by yes, not cinema, watching it cinema, yeah, absolutely, for me cinema is great I mean I'm pleased with that so. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I think, just, I'm I think, just thinking: is there anything that I could possibly could possibly? I, I, I think I, I think we're we're all cinema. Don't 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 worry about it, Ollie. Oh no, no, we're not cinema. Win. I'm okay yeah. with it. I was just I you might have given it a two stars if you'd fast forwarded it through, and then we would have half the time. <laughs> I think even then it probably wouldn't have quite made a two. No. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so that would have been unfair on the remote control as well. <laughs> so times. see, I'm I'm. I'm going to, if we're not going to include this, but I have to fill you in on what actually happened because it's ridiculous. Okay, cool. So anybody, anybody listening to this, uh, just so you know, we're, we're about to get spoilers from a film that you're never going to watch. Go. <laughs> so they've moved into the house. You have weird things going on with the temperature controls changing and the dog's a bit suspicious. And then they, um, 
yeah, she thinks somebody's broken into the house. Then it turns out that there's been this advert put out saying white supremacists come here. And then the black police officer thinks that maybe they are white supremacists and they're just really stupid ones. Um, but he's not sure. So everyone says, oh, no, you're being silly. And then the husband nearly dies and it turns out he's been poisoned and they think it might have been her. Um, and the dog is poisoned. Um, so the dog dies. The dog is lovely. Oh, no. Very sad. I was very upset about the dog. That's the only bit that I had any real feeling for. Her sister disappears and then turns up dead in their marital bed. Nobody seems to be that fussed about it. I hate it when that happens. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Holly, 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 look, I know, I know that misery loves company. But are you about to drag us into your misery by telling us the entire film? I'm giving you the last two details which will explain the entirety of it and not. It turns out that weird fake adverts have been put in the newspaper for them uh, by the brother-in-law of the dead former homeowner, the, the brother of the former homeowner's sister who's got himself into debt and wants to buy the house back because he'd bought it, it, it they'd because it was the only money he was going to inherit uh, and he'd also paid he'd also put an advert up that was a sort of you know I I you know have a rape fantasy thing so um Ashley Green nearly gets raped so that's one bit except that's not all of it <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. It, it, the, 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 you've got to hit the best bit because it makes no sense. The, okay. the couple who were dead, he'd apparently killed her because he'd had loads of affairs, and then she had an affair. But this didn't seem like him. Well, it turns out this is true. But that she had built the house, and she had built a sort of secret room upstairs where she had kept a man who didn't seem to be able to speak with very long hair locked up there and he is the one who had killed the dog and the sister and then tried to kill her um and this was all and had actually killed the previous homeowners because he was so upset that she wasn't actually going to be <coughs> his husband her husband i'm not sure if he was meant uh, to confirm uh, what he couldn't speak my head hurts okay, yes. okay. holly holly I'm, I'm gonna go back to my previous comment and uh, pick one story Pick one story and tell that story. <laughs> Don't go the whole thing. But anyway, well, it doesn't uh, even need to be told well. Just uh, you know, only just, just pick badly. one. Just yeah. pick one. Okay. One mediocre story is good. Yes. So until next week, until next week, when we will give you our feedback on The Boys season three. I promise I will finish watching it by then, Sean, with all of its gore and weird sexual stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Until then, it is a goodbye for me. Goodbye for me. Goodbye for me. Bye for me. Thank you very much for joining us. Bye. <laughs>